Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Or maybe two seconds early. My name is Susan Giffen, and I'm your moderator for this afternoon. But we have a gentleman sitting at what I used to call the table for the gray-haired ladies because there was a time when the gray-haired ladies all sat at this left table. And I knew that because my mother sat there. And when I would come and sit with them, I was always looked at kind of questionably. But now we have gray-haired ladies and gentlemen at that table. And one of them today turns 92. And I think it's worth a really nice burst of song for Frank Toth. And we would all sing happy birthday. So let's go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Frank. Happy birthday to you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Linda. So welcome to today's program for the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. Always we have those few housekeeping things where we ask you to put your $11 into the basket that's on the table. Um, and if you're just having coffee, then I know there's a table at the back and it's $2 if you're doing that. So we'd like to thank the University of Lethbridge for its support and the distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for the Great Lunches, Shaw TV for broadcasting sessions several times weekly, including nightly at 7 p.m. CKXU 88.3 FM Radio Live and the Lethbridge Herald, as well as other media covering SACPA events. SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization in its 48th season, and contributions of members and session attendees help cover expenses. We encourage memberships. Please see our SACPA admin manager, Annalise, over here in the corner to renew your memberships. Today we are having speak to us Dr. Ian Green, and it's on our ethics, integrity, and democracy alive and well in the Canadian public service. Democracy is based on mutual respect which means free and fair elections, human rights, ethical government. How well are we doing with current standards of ethics in politics and the public service? How successfully are they enforced, and how could they be improved? These standards involve conflicts of interest, lobbying, election financing, whistleblowing, expense claims, and public sector accountability. 
This presentation will contextualize some of the past and present scandals involving both Canadian public servants and elected politicians. Is there a trend towards less accountability and are ethics being compromised as part of a larger problem within society? The speaker will offer hope, hope, and suggestions for the future and argue that democracy is not a spectator sport. Voter apathy makes it very fragile. Dr. Ian Green has the title of University Professor at York University in Toronto and as of July 2013 is semi-retired. He's a member of the School of Public Policy and Administration and has taught at York University since 1985. Prior to this, he worked for the Government of Alberta for four years and taught at the University of Lethbridge. He's published numerous articles and seven books, two of them with UofL professor Peter McCormick. Dr. Green has taught courses in Canadian public law, the Charter of Rights, Judicial Administration, Program Evaluation, Political Ethics, Canadian Government, and Public Administration. He's very busy. He, has, he was the inaugural director of York Ma York's Master's Program, Public Policy Administration and Law. He was an associate dean in the Faculty of Arts from 1997 to 2000. He has been a coordinator of the Professional Development LLM program in administrative law in Osgoode Hall Law School. He's a member of the board of directors of the York Collegium for Practical Ethics and the Center for Public Policy and Law. From 2003 to 2004, he was chair of the York University Senate and he's been a frequent media commentator on ethics issues in politics. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Peter Green. I'm sorry, Ian, Ian, <laughs> who's Peter? Ian. <laughs> but I'm privileged to be uh, referred to as Peter because uh, tomorrow I'm going to be at the uh, celebration for Peter McCormick's retirement. Uh, and, of course, Peter hired me to teach at the University of Lethbridge in 1981, and uh, we've, uh, we've done a lot of projects together in the past and will do so in the future. It's just such a privilege to be here today. Uh, when I lived in Lethbridge from 1981 to 85, I came to Sackpaw as often as I could. Uh, and I'm, I'm really pleased to see that you're as feisty as you always have been. <laughs> and uh, you're keeping democracy alive and well. Uh, I got interested in, in ethics and politics in, in 1986. I started off with a contract job at the university, uh, at York University, uh, and uh, <clears throat> I was applying for jobs all over the place. I had to write something about um, public administration, and this was the time of the Sinclair Stevens scandal. Uh, and nobody had written about conflict of interest in cabinet ministers. So, so I did, got the article published, and, and uh, uh, got hired. So that's how I got interested in ethics and politics. But it's, it's been a great interest of mine ever since then, as well as the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. I'm not sure how to get to the next slide. I'm pressing the wrong button. That one. Okay. So I'm going to start today by talking a little bit about why I think ethics is important in democracy. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about what I call the ethics regimes in Canada uh, with a focus on conflict of interest in lobbyists. Uh, 
uh, some current ethics issues and uh, where we need to go to make improvements. So, good. We'll just keep postponing that every 10 minutes, and then it can restart itself. <laughs> um, so, I, I've uh, argued uh, for about 20 years that, that uh, democracy is government based on the principle of mutual respect. Where does that principle come from? Well, every great world religion that I've studied emphasizes uh, mutual respect. Uh, the philosophy of liberalism, which has been developing for the past 300 years, uh, and by the way, every political party in Canada, every major par party is a small l liberal party. That's uh, an advertisement for Peter McCormick's uh, political theory classes, if, if, uh, if you want to take one of them. Uh, one of the, the great theorists of uh, liberalism was John Locke, uh, who justified the Glorious Revolution in, in uh, England in 1688 by talking about the, the importance of treating every individual as, as an equal. Uh, he talked about the importance of the rule of law uh, the importance of judicial independence and impartiality. Uh, and so much of the, the, the political system of uh, the United Kingdom, Canada, the Commonwealth, the United States, is really based on, on the philosophy of, of John Locke that came out of, uh, a thousands of a thousand years of struggling for democracy uh, in the United Kingdom. And I'm very interested that the, uh, uh, the current research in, in philosophy... And uh, the human sciences, uh, much of it shows that human beings uh, are, are altruistic creatures. We want fairness. Uh, it's part of our genes to want fairness. So, uh, stemming from this principle of mutual respect, uh, the basic principles of democracy follow social equality, um, freedom, including all the freedoms listed in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, free and fair elections, uh, and then deference to the majority, protection of minority rights, uh, and integrity, which is honesty, treating everyone with respect and consistency of values. Uh, and the current ethics rules that we have in Canada are really based on these five principles. So in the 1960s, uh, we really had an honor system in terms of ethics and politics in Canada, uh, then we got into a number of scandals. Just about all the ethics rules that we have now are a result of scandals. Not all of them, but most of them are. Uh, and uh, prime ministers and premiers began setting out guidelines for their, uh, their cabinet ministers with regard to conflict of interest and how to avoid conflict of interest. Uh, and rules began to develop for public servants in terms of avoiding conflict of interest in their own workplaces. Um, eventually, cabinet ministers had to disclose their non-personal assets, that is, everything except their, uh, their, their home and their, their, their vehicle and their, their cottage. They had to be disclosed uh, either to a, an official or to the uh, first minister, uh, and they would be given advice about how to avoid conflicts of interest. But the, the, the critical moment was the late 1980s in Ontario, uh, now, there have been political scandals in Alberta from time to time. 
but uh, there, it, it was pretty bad in Ontario in the late 1980s. Uh, there three prominent cabinet ministers w- were, were accused of being in serious conflict of interest situations. David Peterson, the premier, had guidelines, but all of the cabinet ministers interpreted them differently. So the former lieutenant governor, John Black Aird, was asked to investigate and make recommendations. So what he found is nearly all the cabinet ministers had violated uh, the guidelines set out by David Peterson in, in some way, usually a very minor way. But uh, in order to prevent this from happening in the future, he had three re- recommendations. First of all, the, the conflict of interest rules should be put into legislation so that it's very clear. Second, there should be a conflict of interest commissioner um, who meets all the cabinet ministers every year to look at their disclosure statements, explain the rules, and tell them how they can avoid conflicts of interest. And third, the commissioner should have the ability to investigate allegations of breach of the rules so it doesn't have to be dragged through the press for a number of months before there's finally an inquiry, as in the Sinclair-Stevens uh, affair. So the government put this, this, this into effect uh, as a result, and only it, it didn't cover just the cabinet ministers, it covered all the elected members of the provincial parliament in Ontario. And uh, the system has worked extremely well since then. Uh, the, the first commissioner was Gregory Evans, a retired um, chief justice of the High Court in Ontario. And I got to know him quite well in doing my research about uh, ethics and politics. And what he said is the best thing about this system is the personal meetings that he had every year uh, with all members of the legislature to explain the rules and also say, here are some pitfalls based on your personal assets. This is what you need to do to stay out of trouble. And if you have any questions, phone me. Uh, don't just guess. So since that time in Ontario, there have been uh, <coughs> a couple of allegations of conflict of interest. Well, let's say one, one allegation every two years. We, we had about 20 allegations in 1988 alone and quite a few before that, but just once every two years since that time. Uh, and uh, for the last 15 years, uh, no one uh, in, the, in the legislature has been found to be uh, in a conflict of interest situation. So it's worked extremely well. So um, <coughs> the next province to follow Ontario's example was British Columbia. You remember Bill Vanderzam, the, the sale of fantasy gardens. Well, in order for Vanderzam to show that, that he was honest, he said, well, I'm going to institute the Ontario system and I'm going to ask the new commissioner, who's, who is a retired Superior Court judge, Ted Hughes, to, to investigate these allegations against me. And, of course, Hughes, being a, a terrific uh, straight shooter and wonderful investigator, very quickly found that Vanderzam had accepted $20,000 in brown paper envelopes, and that was the end of his political career until recently and uh, the end of the Social Credit Party in British Columbia. The next uh, province was uh, Nova Scotia. They adopted the Ontario system, which has since become known as the Canadian model, but uh, except that instead of having an independent commissioner, they designated a superior court judge who would do the investigations if necessary. In Alberta in 1992, because of concerns that the Don Getty might be in a conflict of interest because of his uh, holdings in the, in the oil patch, 
uh, and then all the other provinces and territories followed suit uh, right up until 2004, when finally the House of Commons adopted the Canadian model. Uh, and, of course, it was because it was a reaction to the sponsorship scandal. Uh, and then uh, the Senate adopted that in 2005. It just takes a second for me to nudge it and then... Aha, finally. So, <laughs> um, I've done a bit of research into the, the impact of having these independent ethics commissioners in all the jurisdictions in Canada. Uh, this is just up till 2006, but uh, a student of mine did some research right up to 2014 in terms of the average number of conflict of interest events, that is, serious allegations of conflict of interest against, uh, against cabinet ministers before there was an ethics commissioner and afterwards. Uh, and there's been a dramatic drop in just about every case where there's a new jurisdiction that adopts this system. It takes a while for them to get used to it. But it's, it's, it's been amazing in terms of uh, uh, preventing conflict of interest scandals right across the country. And now this system is being copied uh, in, in many other countries around the world, especially in Europe. Uh, the, the Americans uh, just have trouble believing that we can actually have independent uh, officials uh, who, who can decide on conflict of interest. Uh, their system is much more partisan. They have to have a committee that has to decide on guilt that makes partisan decisions. So we're, we're way ahead of the Americans, but they'll catch up eventually. Now, what about lobbyists? Well, lobbyists are necessary. They've always existed. Uh, and uh, in the last uh, several decades in Canada, uh, lobby, lobbying has become a, a more specialized profession. Back in 1972-3, to three, I was uh, working for a cabinet minister in Edmonton. Uh, and uh, several times a week, I often met uh, lobbyists. Um, who, uh, and I learned a great deal. I, I was able to advise my minister on a number of policy issues thanks to these meetings. But I did my best to consider their advice impartially and, and give my what I considered my impartial advice to the minister. But, of course, the lobbyists very often wanted to take me for lunch or dinner. I was often, he was the minister of tourism, so I was offered stays at hotels and so on. And I, I, I turned all these down. I would not even accept a cup of coffee because I didn't want to appear to be beholden to anyone uh, in terms of my, my job of advising the minister. Um, so nearly always in Canada, like the conflict of interest regimes we have, lobbyist legislation has come after a scandal. Uh, there are a few exceptions. Uh, the Ontario Lobbyist Registrar uh, on her own, has had some excess, success in persuading the Ontario legislature to improve the system, uh, even without a scandal. Uh, and uh, Ed Stelmack pushed for lobbyist legislation in Alberta, not because of a scandal, because he was afraid there might be a scandal unless Alberta had lobbyist legislation. But uh, the first lobbyist legislation in Canada was a result of a scandal, Uh, Frank Moores was a friend of uh, Brian Mulroney, uh, former Premier of Newfoundland. Uh, after he uh, finished his term as, as Premier, 
uh, he uh, became a lobbyist for Airbus. Uh, he was a, Air Canada was still a crown corporation. He was appointed to the board of Airbus, and so he was a lobbyist for. Uh, he was appointed to the board of Air Canada, and he was a lobbyist for Airbus. Is there a conflict of interest there? Clearly, was that this was really embarrassing. So um, Brian Mulroney created a consultation process, which was excellent, and it led to the the, the first uh, lobbyist legislation in Canada in 1988. It became effective in 1989. But uh, the goings-on during this period eventually led to the Oliphant uh, Commission of Inquiry a few years ago, and it found that uh, Brian Mulroney had accepted $175,000 at least in cash, uh, and that 95% of that money came from Airbus. So <clears throat> I'm just going to do a quick review of some of the ethics regimes we have in Canada and provincially uh, at the present time. Um, so federally, we have a conflict of interest in ethics commissioner for the House of Commons. Uh, Mary Dawson was actually the person who helped to draft the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. She is very, very good. Uh, but she advises the cabinet, um, <coughs> all federal MPs, and about 3,000 public office holders, order and council appointments, uh, who are covered by the federal conflict of interest uh, rules. In addition to the federal legislation, uh, there's, there's a code of co conduct for the House of Commons, which is pretty similar, which creates a bit of confusion. I don't think there need to be two documents. Uh, we have a commissioner of lobbying, since 1989, and that's Karen Shepard. She does a terrific job. Then we have uh, a public sector integrity commissioner who's in charge, in charge of whistleblowing legislation. That legislation did not very, work very well to begin with. Many people tried to blow the whistle. They didn't get any help whatsoever, but uh, that person was fired. We have a new uh, commissioner who I think is, is doing a pretty good job of trying to protect whistleblowers uh, and invest investigate allegations of whistleblowing. Uh, there's a privacy commissioner for Canada and an information commissioner. These are really specialized ombudsmen. Uh, unfortunately, we, do, we don't have a, an ombudsman of general jurisdiction for the federal public service. Uh, there have been many attempts over the years, but none has su succeeded so far. So that's one of the gaps. I think, in terms of the ethics regimes in Canada. Um, what about Alberta? Uh, we've had uh, legislation that uh, was enacted in 1991, as I mentioned earlier. It's been fully in force for, since 1993. Uh, but also, the legislation in Alberta covers senior officials, deputy ministers, uh, board and agency chairs. There are 87 people in this category as of... Um, four years ago, I haven't had time to update that. Uh, and it covers, there's, for public servants, there's a code of conduct um, and ethics for the public service in Alberta. It was revived in, uh, revised in, in 2005. Uh, there's um, legislation that covers public agencies since 19, 2009. So Alberta is one of the leaders in this field. Um, now, since uh, we've had the legislation that covers uh, the, the legislature, there have been 23 investigations 
uh, about conflict, alleged conflict of interest uh, uh, in in uh, the the legislature. Only three were substantiated up until 2010. I haven't had time to update this. We we have a wonderful new commissioner, Margarita Trussler. She was a colleague of mine when I was at the University of Alberta. She's a former judge. She is a very straight shooter, no-nonsense person. And uh, I, I really do think that having the background of a, of a judge helps uh, with regard to having uh, a conflict of interest commissioner. So uh, uh, I'll talk about one of her recent decisions later on if I have time. But uh, look, look for her term. I think we'll see a lot of improvements. Um, so the, um, in Alberta, the commissioner meets annually with, with all members of the legislature. That happens in eight of the provinces. It, it, happens, it does not happen yet with regard to the federal parliament. And the result is that there, there are more allegations of conflict of interest, more confirmations of conflict of interest with regard to the federal cabinet, federal uh, MPs, than any other jurisdiction in Canada. So I've been advocating for years that they need to have these personal meetings. But uh, anyway, they prefer to, 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 to have their, their names dragged across the headlines of the newspapers instead. Uh, I guess they like the punishment. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's uh, a very good code for public servants in Alberta. Um, and, and a good system in terms of uh, accountability for uh, keeping to the code in Alberta. Um, I don't think there's enough training. That's one of the areas that we need to improve. Um, I'll just skip over these so I can stay within my time. There's a lobbyist registry in Alberta since 2007. So everyone who is either an in-house lobbyist uh, or a professional lobbyist has to register, and you can go online and see who is lobbying who with regard to what issues. Uh, Alberta was one of the first jurisdictions in Canada to create an ombudsman, uh, and uh, um, I, I'm, I'm delighted that my, my former boss at Alberta Social Services, Lorene Harrison, is here. And I remember once uh, I was investigated by the, the ombudsman, the Alberta ombudsman, my staff was really terrified. And I said, no, 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 this is going to help us because if we're doing something that we, we – if we could be doing something better, we'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get advice. But uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, we run a pretty tight ship and we'll be found that uh, – it'll be found that we, we did proceed correctly and that's what happened. So I'm proud of Alberta for being one of the first jurisdictions to have, have an ombudsman. And, of course, we have an, an information privacy office. Uh, <clears throat> five minutes. Good. Let me just skip ahead. Uh, to one of the innovations that Ontario has, it has a conflict of interest commissioner for the public service. The, this is a retired judge, Sidney Linden. And what he does, he has a very small office, but he... He, he provides the training that I think is currently lacking in Alberta for the people who are responsible for uh, the, the ethics code for public servants. And he does an absolutely terrific job. Toronto is an interesting case because as a result of scandals in the early 2000s, the city of Toronto now has a very tight ethics regime. 
there's, there's an integrity commissioner who is independent uh, and did find that Rob Ford had violated the code of conduct for <laughs> city council on a number of occasions, but she claims that he's, uh, he now understands what a conflict of interest is. So it shows that it's working. Uh, there's a lobbyist registrar. I think one of the one of the places where we can uh, experience the most corruption is at the, at the municipal level. So I'm delighted that Toronto has an, an excellent lobbyist registrar. We have an ombudsman, and we have an auditor general for the city. But that's only as a result of very serious scandals in the early 2000s that we have this system, and it's something that. I think other cities in Canada can copy. Uh, so let me say about a little bit about Diane Finley in my last three minutes. Uh, she was in the news three days ago. She was Human Resources Minister in 2011. And the uh, Ethics Commissioner, Mary Dawson, found that she showed favoritism uh, to, to a project that was applying for a million dollars for a community centre in, in uh, the north part of Toronto that wanted to improve, improve accessibility to handicapped people. But that application was bumped ahead of a lot of others that were more meritorious. So the commissioner found uh, she was able to investigate on her own uh, allegations of the conflict of interest that had been in the newspapers. And, uh, and she found that Diane Finley had shown favoritism. That is a conflict of interest because if you show you can't show favoritism to yourself in public office, but neither can you show it to your friends or your political party. So this was done for political reasons. But the problem is there's no enforcement mechanism. It's really up to the cabinet or the House of Commons as to uh, what uh, punishment there should be meted out to uh, uh, Diane Finley, and it appears there will be none. Um, what about the Senate expenses scandal? Now, I could go on for another half hour, but I'll go on for one minute. Uh, this is really a result of the, the whole debate on Senate reform that was really initiated by my friend Peter McCormick. I'm going to be talking a bit about that tomorrow at, at his uh, celebration. Um, but uh, I think Senators Duffy and Wallen realized that they were bringing in a lot of money for the Conservative Party, and they, they, they felt that they were entitled to something extra. Uh, they, they didn't live in the provinces for which they were appointed, so that was an open invitation to, uh, I think, make exp expense claims that they weren't in entitled to. Anyway, the Duffy trial is coming up pretty soon, and uh, a lot of interesting information will come out. Uh, <coughs> I, I do hope uh, that uh, uh, we, we do get some positive reforms that come out of this particular scandal. Uh, the Senate has a really excellent regime for conflict of interest, but not for expenses. So uh, if, you, if you cover off corruption in one area, you have to look at the other, other areas where it might happen. So um, I think that, that ethics, uh, we're actually getting better in Canada. We, we have a more ethical political system than any other country that I know of. That may be hard to believe. But uh, we, we have made huge contributions and huge strides forward. There's a lot more to be done. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> some of the improvements we have to make, we need to have the Canadian model with regard to conflict of interest in all municipalities across the country. It can be done very cost-effectively. In 1991, the Royal Commission on Electoral Reform 
recommended that all political parties should have their own codes of conduct that are enforceable internally. It always, you, you can't always enforce ethics from outside. Uh, and uh, I've been offering to help any political party that wants to have its own code of conduct uh, in terms of how to develop it and how to enforce it. But nobody's asked me to do this so far. But I'm still making the offer. I, I think that's one of the big reforms that's needed. We need an ombudsman of general jurisdiction for the federal public service. Um, And we do need to have the, the, a conflict of interest commissioner for public servants, not just for politicians, but for public servants in all provinces like they do in Ontario. So um, I think I'm right on time. <laughs>